You're listening to the awesome Podcast Network. <laughs> it's Halloween Movie Month here on 80s Revisited. <laughs> and now your hosts, Otto and Trey Harris. From the novel by Stephen King, creator of Carrie and The Shining, comes a startling vision of fear. Please, God, get me out of here. Now there's a new name for terror. Cujo. Cujo. In the, in the novel, the kid's always like, Cujo. In the Cujo. novel? Cujo. It's an audio novel? No, in the book. Oh. It's, you know, a lot of U's and a lot of O's. Well, if it was an audio book. Actually, I had the audio book, but I didn't listen to it. I, like rec- the, I read the... The guy that does the Harry Potter books? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if he did the Cujo book, he would do it like that. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? I know Stephen Fry did the English audio books for Harry Potter. Uh, I don't know who did the American ones. Well, whoever did it, it's, he did a good job. Gotcha. <laughs> I'll look into that for when I have a child in 15 years. Nah. Or whatever. But anyway, welcome back to the most horrific time of year on 80s Revisited as we delve into the horrendous, horrific horror movies as we do every year around so scary. this time. Don't be scared. It's just me, Jesse. <laughs> I'll take off my scary voice. See, it's just me. Oh, Man. <laughs> Don't worry. Oh, he's back. He's ah. back. The scary voice man's back. <laughs> oh, God, run away. <laughs> but anyway, our second film of this year's Halloween Horror Hootenanny of Horror Cujo. Another C. <laughs> it's funny. Most of the movies that we talk about all start with C this month. Ah. Yeah. Children of the Corn. For it. Cujo. Next week is a is Silver Bullet, based on the book Cycle of the Werewolf. Uh-huh. Stephen King's first novel was Carrie. There's also a film called Christine we'll be doing later on. Are we doing Carrie? No, Carrie okay. was 1978, I believe. All right, I just don't know why you brought it up. No, I'm just bringing it up because like, the dude <laughs> likes C's. Right. If you look like, it is, like his early works, like, you know, like we just said, Cujo, Christine, Cycle of the Werewolf, Carrie, uh-huh. uh, a lot of C's in there for some reason. Especially because, you know, Cujo's the name of a dog. Yeah. He could have been anything. Could have been Spot. Uh, Christine could have... The, the name of the car could have been anything. But it was Christine. Yeah, there's a couple of C's. Not a lot. Well, in, in, in his 80s... Okay, let me, let me clarify. In his 80s catalog, so, there's a lot of C's. That's 06. That was like, supposedly about cell phones or something, too, that he got inspired because he saw people walking around looking at their cell phones. And then, of course, his demented... Brain thought of something terrifying to wrap around that. It always starts with one question. What if? That's the yeah. writer's thoughts, anyway. And he, uh, never, I haven't read it, but our friend Crystal said that his book on writing is the best book she's ever read. Hmm. Which is more like a... I, I don't know if it's a biography or if it's... I think it's more him explaining his process or something. Again, I have it downloaded, haven't read it. But anyway, today we'll talk about Cujo, that sweet little puppy... Aww. Cute, cute little dog. Never hurt anybody until one day he got bit by a rabid bat and became the bat dog. In DC Comics, that's what would happen since there's a bat cow now. But yeah. anyway. What? Yeah, there's bat cow. 
Thank you, Grant Morrison. Uh, but anyway, Cujo was released August 12th. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I get so excited. I forgot. In case this is your first time joining us, I am one of your hosts, Trey Harris. With me, as always, my lovely wife, Autumn Harris. That's me. And with us, as always, our loyal, non-rabid producer of a St. Bernard of a producer, Jesse Sedgley. Sorry, I can tie it in. <laughs> good boy, good boy. Here's a treat. But anyway, Cujo, August 12th, 1983. IMDb says it's worth a six. Rotten Tomatoes, very close with the critics, 59%, 45% audience. So kind of in the lower percentile there as far as uh, those ratings go. Budget was estimated at $5 million, opened at $6.1, so it's made, it made its money back in its opening weekend. Uh, domestically, it went on to gross $21.1, so quadrupled its budget. Obviously a big success, further cementing the works of Stephen King as popular money-making movies. Uh, not so much as a movie we'll talk about next week, but that's what TBS is for. But anyway, this was directed by Louis Teague. Uh, he did some other notable stuff. Uh, Cat's Eye, uh, mm. the sequel to Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile, and ooh, Navy Seals! <laughs> Clerk's reference. Oh, okay. I know. Just making sure. Making sure you got it. I but got anyway, it. Uh, that's pretty much the main things that he did. It was written by Don Carlos Dunaway. I don't know if he's a Don or like Don's his name. It just seems like he could be a Don. I don't know. But Don. anyway, and Lauren Courier, and neither of them did pretty much anything of note after this. Not even worth mentioning in parentheses on my notes. It is, however, and often uh, overlooked on this podcast where we talk about the DPs, the director of photography, the cinematographers, because that's a really big part of the medium of film. But it's especially notable in this case because the DP on Cujo is John DeBont, who went on to direct such classics as Speed and Twister. Hmm. So, and say what you will about Twister, I think it's retarded and, excuse me, silly and stupid. But he PC, still, he does PC have principle. a... Yeah, yeah, whoa, bro, <laughs> check your PC on that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but anyway, geez. but uh, he, he went on from, I think that's the most natural progression in the film industry is for a DP to move into directing because it's almost just like, you're now a DP with more responsibility, hmm. in a sense. But of course, you know, mainly it's big jumps with actors or other stuff like that to directing, which again, they know it from a different angle, but it just seems to me DP is the most natural. It's more, more natural to progress from a DP to a director. But anyway, starring, you know, Molly Ringwald gets all this 80s icon stuff. I think it's only because she's a teenager, but the woman, grown woman icon of the 80s has to be Dee Wallace, the star of this film as well as, of course, E.T., The Howling, Critters, numerous 80s films. Yeah. Very popular. Uh, or very popular, very often used actress for a lot of 80s films and a lot of 80s She's always the films mom. that have grown, grown to be cult films. And, of course, E.T., one of the highest grossing films of all time. Uh, of course, didn't hurt being in that. Uh, also, the first acting role of Danny Pintaro as Tad in the film. Uh, of course, the only other thing he did was... Uh, who's the boss? The mm. kid, the, the boy child, and who's the boss? But he was overshadowed in my young eyes because... Alyssa Milano was on Hughes the Boss and yeah, outshined. But anyway, moving on. Uh, where is he? Daniel Kelly was Vic, uh, most notably. Excuse me, he was also in All My Children, but no, most notably for fans of the podcast that go way back to the Daniel years, and also Jesse because there was a lost ep- an episode that we recorded about TV shows. I believe it was TV shows, but through random glitchness, it 
it was lost. We had to re-record it. But in that lost episode, I made a erroneous mistake and thought Michael Landon played in Hardcastle and McCormick. That's right. It wasn't Michael Landon. It was none other than Daniel Kelly, star of Cujo and All My Children. I have no uh, idea what I know, because you weren't, you'd never listened to it then and still... Only two so. people got to witness that. Exactly. But we referenced it on that episode. So anybody who remembers that, this is actually the guy that played in Hardcastle and McCormick. So. Is that a show? What yes. is that? It was a show and it was... This dude and some older dude, and they had a car that was like really low to the ground, like a Ferrari or something. I don't know what it was because I'm not a car guy. But the big thing in the show was they would always, every car chase they got involved in would involve them having to drive under an 18 wheeler. <laughs> so it happened like all the time. You know, National Lampoon's, uh, is it Christmas Vacation where they go under the 18 wheeler? Mm-hmm. That was from Hardcastle McCormick because they would do it all the time. Like it was a mandatory thing in all their chase scenes that, oh crap, quick, when they'd go under the 18 wheeler because the car was so low to the ground. The original low rider, if you will. But also starring Christopher Stone. What a what an actor name, Christopher Stone. It's almost like a villain in an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> or, or an 80s movie, at least. Right. Christopher Stone doesn't do that. He's too well off to be the terrorist mastermind behind the preschool bombing or whatever. A little more, but I know. Sorry about that. But uh, he also starred in The Howling, along, same, uh, like we mentioned D. Wallace did. Also, he was in soap operas with uh, Days of Our Lives. And also, in this movie, he plays the adulterous Steve... Uh, Forgot his last name or name in the movie or in, in the book. Kemp. Steve, thank you Kemp. very much, babe. Steve Kemp, but and who was adulterating with D. Wallace, but in reality they were married. Hmm. So in the real world there was nothing wrong with it, <laughs> but in the movie world, just like the message of the movie, you screw around with your significant other, a rabbit Saint Bernard will trap you in a car. <laughs> but uh, young, well, fifty-three. Yeah, and they actually were married until he died. So. Hmm. It was one of those Hollywood relationships that lasted till death. Uh, Although, did he die under suspicious circumstances? Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Conspiracy theory. But uh, also starring Ed Lauder. Uh, he was Joe Camber. He was also in Real Genius, The Rocketeer, School Ties, and most recently before he died, The Artist. And he did a lot of TV as well. He's one of those actors that you kind of see. You, you, you wonder where you remember him from, but you can't place it because he was always little bit parts in like a ton of different shows. Not as much as the next man who starred in Cujo, Jerry Harden. He was Mason. Uh, he was also in Big Trouble in Little China, The Firm. When, and I say this, literally tons of television. If you name a show from the 80s to the 90s, he most likely was in an episode as somebody. And I was, when I was watching the movie, I was like, God, I know the guy. There's one role that I could not think of that like I identified him with. And as I was looking through his history, it finally hit me. He was Deep Throat in The X-Files. Yep. And he we- will be coming back. Yes. <laughs> Cannot wait. But that's just me. I don't think Autumn's excited because we haven't Netflixed, binged on X-Files uh, yet. But I've seen... It, it will come. I see, I dropped off when Robert Patrick came in. So that was like the last season. Oh, uh, yeah. But Everybody it was already kind of going downhill then. <laughs> anyway. For me, the X-Files ended at season five. Let's just say that. But anyway, also it is important to note in Cujo, there is no Stephen King cameo. In mm. fact, of all the movies that we've covered for... This month, the horror month in the horror genre, there is not a single Stephen King cameo except one in all of these films. Now, of course, in Maximum Overdrive, which we did a couple weeks before this, it's like the sci-fi aspect of, of King's writing. Of course, he was right there in the beginning and he directed it. But go listen to that episode and find all those fun facts. Yeah. But anyway, no King cameo, so. But anyway, my love, Autumn, I'm looking at, but people who are listening can't see where <laughs> I'm looking at. So just to clarify, because, you know. Right. Podcasts are almost like a novel. Mm-hmm. 
Trey moved away from the mic and looked at his notes, shuffled nervously in his hand. My love, he said, then quickly remembering that people can't see what he's doing, yes. quickly corrected himself and said, oh, my wife Autumn, who am I talking to now? I've been reading so much Stephen King, like I've been thinking of life <laughs> as a novel, like if I was going to explain this, so I've been Tom reading Bright. like a motherfucker. <laughs> I've read like 3,000 pages right, uh, yeah. in the past four weeks, so give me a break. Podcast or horror story? Like Tusk. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Love or hate that movie, like, I still think about it, like, all the time, like... Because <laughs> it's original, that's all. <laughs> it's, I don't know, it sticks with you. <laughs> I don't know, but anyway, Autumn, had you ever seen Cujo before I forced you to watch it for this podcast? No. But you heard about it, well, you read the book, obviously, before, because make sure we read the books before, mm. so that there's no, you know, better, better to try to be surprised in a book and then see the, tw- the differences in a movie. Hey guys, taking a quick break from the podcast to ask you to please, please, please shoot on over to iTunes, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing. We love to hear feedback because, hey, let's face it, like the 80s, we're not perfect. Also, head on over to... <laughs> 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 so we screwed up this ad. Damn, now I get, gotta get back to the show. This is 30 second ad. We only got eight seconds left. Oh shit, we're still, oh, I thought you expected you do your okay, magical Amazon, editing thing. iTunes. And Stitcher. Reviews. Go get them. Thank you. But anyway, so what did you think of the movie, Cujo? It was all right. I don't need to see it again. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Anything else? Elaborate a little more. Um, what they did to that dog to film that was disgusting. Was covered like, in covered mud, in food blood, stuff, Cairo syrup, yeah, was, all sorts of stuff. It was awful, and like the yellow goopy eye thing. Yeah. It was disgusting. It was a great makeup job mm-hmm. on the that on the dog. poor dog. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that the the the, the, the heart wrenching parts in a minute. <laughs> After we talk about the movie. I mean the dog actor, not the Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Character. Well, the character, too, which we'll get into more so with the book, because in the movie, you don't get any aspect of what the dog's thinking. It's just a dog. <laughs> Where in the book, like, the dog will get in that. You, there's more character development with the dog in the book. And the yeah. dog thought, food, 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 food. <laughs> it's sort of like that, but it's a little better. <laughs> there's like five pages just saying food. <laughs> King's a genius! <laughs> he does it again. But anyway, were there any like notable parts that you liked or didn't like, not as opposed to the book, but just in general? Was there anything that kind of struck you about it at all? Not really. Because to me, okay, <laughs> really, really no. Okay, whatever. You, did you fall asleep during it? Maybe. Oh, okay, then maybe that's why. But anyway, uh, it was over in twenty minutes. I thought that was weird. <laughs> I thought that was odd. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden the, the dog's just attacking the car, right? and like the kid wakes up in a nightmare, and all of a sudden the dog's attacking the car, and then it's credits. Over. It's like it just it was weird. I thought it was an episode of Twilight Zone. But anyway, me personally, uh, I had only seen this movie once before, so it was a true revisit, as we often have sometimes on the podcast, where it's not one of those cult classics like mm-hmm. that I've seen multiple, multiple, multiple times, and whoever my co-host is hadn't seen it at all. Mm. Dana's beating you by like a few words. Trey shakes like, as his head as, as, as he looks. I don't know what you want me to say there. Keep. I'm just trying to get a, more of an opinion out of you. Anyway, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I'm talking now, and I'm going to just talk, 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 talk. Autumn you can just feed back when I misspeak. <laughs> Trace, self-esteem begins to plummet like a like a jumper off of a high building, slowly plummeting to oblivion, a darkness that can't be... Comp- okay, fine. It's, we, can, we can do that all episode. Oh, yeah. We never get anywhere. Welcome to the narration podcast, where, where we, we actually don't really say anything. But we narrate every <laughs> single action, like a novel. But anyway, uh, watching it again... And especially after reading the book, because there's a vast difference 
there's a key, let me rephrase it, there is a key difference between the movie and the book that makes one of them better than the other to me, but we'll get into that in just a minute. But uh, anyway, watch this movie. I forgot how, because again, as a kid, you just kind of, the only thing I remember about the movie was there was like a big jump scene that scared me, which uh, we're going to later too, but basically when they're huddled in the car, when Cujo, Cujo first attacks and all of a sudden he just busts right by the passenger when it's a good, it's an effective jump scare, but I, that was the scene I always remembered. The one part that kind of stuck with me, and that was basically about it, hmm. as far as I remembered. But watching it again, revisiting it, as we do on the podcast, I enjoyed it. It's definitely not one that you're going to watch more than once every 15 Ten years. years. Yeah. It's not, there's not a lot of rewatch value. Uh, hmm. It's a well-done film, that's for sure, I'd say, as far as uh, technically. Uh, of course, you've got Jane Bond as a DP. He's got a great, you know, everything looks good. Uh, as far as that goes, but I have to say, as far as this movie goes, that dog shouldn't have got, should have gotten an Oscar, because mm. uh, especially, uh, we, actually, let's get, let's get into some of the facts and we'll explain that as we go, because there's a lot of there's a ton of interesting things about behind the scenes on this film that uh, really makes sense. But for the most part, I have to say, like when you're watching the film, that do- like when they show the close up of that dog covered in mud, blood, goop, and all sorts of crap. I mean, like that dog jelly. looks like. He's sick. Like, they did an effective job. And as a matter of fact, the main dog that played Cujo died of bloat during production. So an animal was maybe not harmed because of the film, but died during production. Depends what they're Unfortunately, which is sad. Because, again, when you, when, if you do watch this movie, it's on Netflix, by the way. Uh, don't, be, don't be thinking you have, like, some TV version of it because in the Netflix picture, it's a Rottweiler for some reason on the movie cover. And then yeah. in the film, it's a St. Bernard. But uh, they did use a Rottweiler for like some close-up shots because Saint Bernard, the Saint Bernards, just couldn't look vicious enough. Well, because they're big old dopey dogs. Exactly. See, that is not a Saint Crap Bernard <laughs> on the cover. Actually, it might be a photoshopped Rottweiler mouth. Yeah. Or something. It just. Looks... It might be a panda bear with dentures. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the teeth that's, are fake. I mean, it's, yeah. It's kind of a Saint Bernard. It's not Rottweiler, but. Uh... It's, it is not. It's weird looking. I think it's a, a photoshopped Rottweiler. Yeah. Look at it looks his like nose. it looks like human eyes with one of those it like over exaggerated vampire rubber mask uh-huh. teeth type things. It just looks ridiculous. Yeah, it's weird how so, they decided to put the house in there. It's like he's a giant dog, <laughs> Clifford. How <laughs> to just take it and it would fit more. But uh, anyway, uh, the name Cujo. Uh, King got that because it was the nom de guerre of Willie Wolf. Who's Willie Wolf, you might say? He was one of the kidnappers of Patty Hearst. Uh, of course, if you don't know what that is, uh, the term uh, Stockholm Syndrome comes from that case. Go Wikipedia it, and you can find out all about that. Because this is not hardcore history podcast. This is Age Revisited. Mm. But go look it up. But that's where he got the name because that dude's Willie, uh, Willie Wolf's nickname was Cujo. Which uh, there's a, actually a con- conflicting report on that because... There was like a, uh, another thing I saw where people said that the name Cujo King just made it up, but this guy's actual nickname was Cujo. It was before the event, so it's more of a reasonable, logical explanation. Mm. And again, if he says it in writing, there's Stephen King fans out there who know better than I do. Asiavisited at gmail.com. Let us know because we're not perfect here. We just we're just two guys and a girl and a pizza joint. I mean, a podcast joint. Podcast joint. Whatever that. Your 80s television show reference was. I just tried to make that is not an 80s television yeah. show. <laughs> I thought I said 90s, excuse me, whatever. I think that's like a 2000. I don't know. I'm bad with dates. Oh, good thing you have a date based podcast show. Good thing I have my wife here <laughs> to say such 1998. things. 
Aha, yeah. 90s. Bam. <laughs> what I meant to say Barely. originally was correct. But uh, anyway, the foam around Cujo's mouth was made of a concoction of egg whites and sugar, uh, which caused incredible problems because the dogs kept just licking it off. Which is good. Just licking their face. Yeah. Licking the makeup right off. <laughs> and then dying from it. Well, yeah. that could have been what it was for that Possibly. the main one, unfortunately. It's all about the diet. Uh, and, of course, we talked about uh, how when Stephen King was directing Maximum Overdrive in that episode, how he pretty much was, that was his cocaine, fa- cocaine phase of his career. Uh, when he wrote Cujo, that was his alcoholism phase. Mm. So he literally says uh, that he doesn't remember even writing the book. And he, Lovely. And he, although he does say in retrospect he wished he did because he felt like a lot, he had a lot of good points in it that he wished he remembered why he did it or where he came up with it from. But he really can't tell you... A lot of the gist of it. You look, probably stole it from a college student and then killed the college student. Alcoholics. Or he just crazy, what so. if going through this interview, he's just like, oh, I'm tired. Just okay. tell him I forgot everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a good blanket response for when yeah. he, when he's done talking. <laughs> I like, was drunk. I was drunk. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Pay me. <laughs> Five Saint Bernards were used during the course of filming, which, uh, of course, they're covered in mud so you, you really can't tell them apart right but uh, i was surprised there is one mechanic there was also one mechanical head mechanical head and a guy in a dog costume but i'm gonna pretend which you was tried Stephen to say King. maniacal <laughs> <laughs> as, 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 as drunk as fuck <laughs> bark. be afraid bark, bark. be afraid i want to be the dog <laughs> yes no Mr. That's King, his King. Cameo. we have a professional here no i want to be the dog that's his cameo. <laughs> Let me be the dog. Mr. King, the, the St. Bernards don't actually wear those things around their neck filled with brandy, much less drink from them. <laughs> Shut up! Shut I'm Stephen King! Put it in a ball for me. I'll show you I can be a dog. Just let me be a dog. Please. But I'll do whatever you uh, want. If you, if you do watch it, because... Like chewing on the boom mic. <laughs> bad dog. Bad dog. <laughs> get, the, get the paper. Stephen's acting up again. <laughs> But uh, if you do happen to watch this movie, because uh, as I was watching it, again, this is an 80s movie, 83. There wasn't, you know, CG at this time. So when you, there's also, obviously there's a mechanical dog here, like I mentioned, and a guy in a dog suit. But as we were watching it, like I was literally looking for stuff because we had watched next week's movie before we watched this one, mm. which is Silver Bullet. And we'll talk about the shoddy costume in that movie, mm. how it's blatantly obvious that. It's, it's a guy in a costume. Like. Halloween costume, but that's next week. But anyway, so as we were watching this, I was just like paying attention to, especially how it was shot with the dog. And uh, when Life of Pi came out, a lot of people, the special effects company was like, "There's only like five shots with a real tiger," whatever, whatever they said. <laughs> Looking at funny dog pictures, and there's it's just ridiculous. Google at your own risk. A woolly mammoth with a pug sticking out of it is hilarious. Yeah, but, uh, trying to find the dog costume. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, what I was getting at was that it. I think it. Uh, it was really hard to distinguish if th- anything that wasn't a real dog in the film, how it was shot and everything. Uh, they did a very good job of the angles they were shooting it from and everything to where you know, that dog was running up trying to get in that car hmm. viciously, which they accomplished by putting the dog's toys in the car and then waving it at him from the floorboard to make him want to get them. So he's not actually trying to attack them. He's literally just trying to get his toy. So... Uh, let me see. Yeah, you put some scary music behind it. That's all you got to do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and this, and we noticed this when we were watching it too. There, when he kills the uh, the first guy, uh, Camber's friend, 
who in the books a complete alcohol like over the top alcoholic, much like King apparently was at the time. Uh, there's a shot where you're looking, Kudo's in the foreground staring at him, and he's like, "Oh, Kudo, what's wrong?" And all of a sudden, Kudo's tail starts wagging. Well, this was a huge problem during the entire production because obviously the dogs aren't being abused; the dogs are happy. So they would have to pin the dogs' tails to stop them from wagging all the time, like they're having the time of their life trying to kill these people. Mm. So maybe he's enjoying it. It could be. <laughs> According to the book, he's not. So <laughs> I know that's not the right answer, at least in that case. Uh, like I mentioned, they had that they put the dog's favorite toys in the car to get him to try to attack them. Uh, in the scene where uh, Tad's having a seizure because of dehydration, lack of food, and being in a hot car for a whole long. Uh, Long time. Actually, that scene right there, we look at the picture. He actually bit her fingers, and that reaction is real on her face of a kid clamping down on her fingers while she's trying to stop him from swallowing his tongue. So, uh, some realism on the set Hmm. of Cujo. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Stephen King stated that he feels that D. Wallace in this film gave the best performance in any of his adapted works, even more so than Kathy Bates winning an Oscar for her role in Misery. Stephen King's his consideration for the best performance in any of his movies is D. Wallace in this film. But he was drunk. Yeah. This is post. This is after <laughs> the fact. I know. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, again, when you think about that, I mean, you got Jack Nicholson in The Shining. You got Kathy Bates. I mean, there's been Tim Curry in It. It's Pennywise. I mean, there's some great performances in his works previously. He forgot but... those were made. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what was <laughs> that? Wait, Wait that was me? Mine? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Never mind. I like that one better. <laughs> Put my name on it. Yeah. <laughs> he kills the trunk. That's where he gets the idea. His dog killed some dude, and the dude had like a manuscript. Like, oh wow. Hmm. hmm. Scratch, scratch, scratch. Stephen, drunkily written across the front. King. I made Shawshank. What? I'm a genius. <laughs> Why does that not one of his books about like oh, a playful tale of how he's not who he seems to be? <laughs> Did you ever hear this? I remember when I was a kid, especially in the early 90s when like it came out, like when Stephen King miniseries were a big deal on television, almost like a second coming of like his works in a sense. You have Steve, uh, Tommy Knockers, it, a lot of uh, television stuff, Golden Years. Like every year it seemed like there was a new Stephen King miniseries. That was the cool thing to do at the time. But anyway, I remember hearing that, uh, I, don't, I never looked this up, and I, it just came to me for some reason, so that's how it's just flow of consciousness that I'm talking right now. But did you ever hear a rumor that he had like an eyeball growing out of his head or something? No. I've always mm. heard that rumor when, like, in great, like, back in the day. So I'm I just didn't sure. know if y'all did, or it was just some isolated to Walker, Louisiana. Yeah, that just some your kid friends. Could be, or it could be true, Autumn. You don't know. No. Nothing about it on Google. So let's just say that it's <laughs> Louisiana urban legend that Stephen King had an eyeball in his head, growing out of his head. Yeah. I always heard, like multiple people told, uh, it had to be one of those stupid rumors again. Some little douchebag at school. Yeah, uh, one of those, uh, you know, everybody has a matter of school. That, that one kid that's the chronic liar. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Dude, let me tell you a quick aside. When I was mm-hmm. in junior high, I sat next to this guy who his uh, his fake name will be Bobby McClintock. And he saw, I made the mistake of reading, this This will date how long it was, a diehard game fan in class when I'd finished my assignment or whatever. That was a gaming magazine for, you know, at the time, Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. Right. Uh, but anyway, and he's like, "Oh, dude!" He, then he knew I played video games, and you know, uh, you know, mutual conversation. And then, he, then the lies started. On the cover of this particular one, I'll never forget. There was like, it was some new Sonic game. And he's like, "Yeah, uh, let's uh, let's say it was three. He's like, "Yeah, actually, uh, I got to play Sonic Four. You know, when I was on a trip to Texas, and of course, I'm just like, "Oh, really? 
and he would just go on and on. He played Mortal Kombat three uh, before two came out. I mean, this this dude would just spit out lies like without even, and he would believe it. Like that was the thing. And then eventually, my good friend Jason, he had him in another class, and through I guess this, Jason might have been reading a magazine, like the same thing. And we would just sit and like after school, just tell like the different stories. Oh, dude, he totally told me that too. <laughs> no, either he's a time traveler because I haven't seen him since high school. Yeah. So maybe he went back to his real time. He'll visit, soon. but I don't know this. But he was a anyway chronic liar. Just everything. I mean, whatever he'd see whatever game I was that. looking at, it would just lies a lot. Like just he played it already. He did they have these new things called uh, not animalities, but you know something stupid. He would just say stream of consciousness type things. Do you ever return the, the lies just to amp them up? <laughs> like, no, oh, I'll yeah. be like, oh, for real? Like, oh, they saw fatalities. They got anything like, new? And he would he would the dude like. Master improviser. He should have, like, gone into that route. (laughs) But, I mean, this dude would lie, like, and you could tell, like, having a conversation with him, like, he believed what he was saying. His name is Ryan Stiles. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, you should have been like, I played Sonic 5. You know, 4 is so I might have done something. I don't remember. (laughs) I mean, but, like, every single day, like, he would, there was some new game that he played that isn't out yet. Or that he, like, his dad, like, got him. Because he works at Activision or whatever, you know. I mean, just I'm telling you, like it was a, this dude was sick. And then thankfully, I didn't have any classes with him for the rest of my life except for that one in eighth grade, to be exactly precise on the timeline. But anyway, weird. Uh, going tying that all in, I think some chronic liar at school thought that Stephen King had an eyeball going out of his head, and the rumors spread around because again, at this time, like, dude, you watch the second half of it last night. Man, that was awesome. Well, you know, it was it was high on playground talk time. Mm. You know, about the scary stuff on TV and all that kind of stuff. Grew an eyeball while playing Sonic Six. <laughs> yeah, I just like ripped it out and you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. I put it in a jar and now like I have a twin that's yeah. growing. Like it's really weird. I feed it like you know some candy and stuff and pretty it common, just grows. Man. Like you know, it's pretty common. So uh, yeah. Mm. Anyway, I'm gonna go travel back in time now. Anyway. Liars. Send us your liar <laughs> yeah, stories. Yeah, you had a liar story <laughs> when you were in school, let us know about it if it was even worse than what I just explained. That's right. It, it honestly we'll got to it. a point where I was just like, I really don't want to have to talk to this dude today. <laughs> like, I wish I didn't have a... Like, that was, that was a time where we had assigned seating. Yeah. Like, the teacher would just say, okay, either it was either you sit alphabetically or wherever you sat that first day, they make the seating chart, and that's yeah. where you sit for the rest of class. And I was just like, oh, God. JJ, my last name. And to give you a hint of his last name, it was right before mine in the alphabet. So I was stuck next to him. But anyway. Oh, well. uh, About the book for Cujo, it's interesting because I didn't know this because I haven't read The Dead Zone or even seen the movie with Christopher Walken and Martin Sheen. But anyway, the original novel was a sequel of sorts following The Dead Zone. Uh, in the book Cujo, they talk about this killer that killed in the town before who used to be a cop named Frank Dodd, and they continually reference him. In the book, it's they almost give the impression that this is happening because Frank Dodd, is the spirit of him, is evil and causing bad things to happen, et cetera, et cetera, which is completely ignored in the film. But anyway, as far as the books go, uh, it's hinted at that... Uh, let me see, in the dead zone, because I didn't read it, so I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, it is hinted that Dodd possessed... Blah, 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 blah. Oh, uh... In the book, George, the sheriff who gets killed in the book, uh, in the movie, uh, makes a reference to uh, the main character in the Dead Zone, Johnny Smith, and then how Frank Dodd is the kind of the, that, the same villain in that work. So again, mm. it's shared Stephen King universe. I'm butchering the explanation because I read the Dead Zone and I can't explain well, it all to how it fits in the same city, too, but it Castle all, Rock. Yeah. yeah, 
In fact, I got an interesting thing on that too coming up. Or actually, Multiple next week. Times. Yep, sure is. But uh, again, the King King verse, I guess, would be the easiest way to say it is all sorts of ties and stuff hmm. uh, together. But yeah, uh, the movies though, nothing to do with each other. But yeah. the books go hand in, not hand in hand, but it's almost a sequel of sorts, as uh, I mentioned before. Maybe he'll kick off the uh, the Avengers style, come together with the Dark Tower, and then just bring it back to Castle Rock. He, he finally gets. I haven't read all the Dark Tower, but he gets to the Dark Tower, and it's like Cujo, Pennywise, the Tommy Knockers, <laughs> Kathy Bates from Misery. All this, you know, it's like the Expendables of King. Like we're all existing in the universe. Gage from Pet Cemetery, Christine, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. Complete rip off of Avengers. <laughs> Basically. How much money do we make so far? <laughs> he gets the script for Avengers, scribbles it out, <laughs> yeah. changes the names, and then scribbles out Whedon and puts King. Yeah. Here you go. Castle it's my Rock. latest masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, as I mentioned oh, before, man. Stephen King also cites this film as having the most effective jump scare of any of his any of the movies based on his work being uh, when Cujo leaps at the passenger window in the car, which I mentioned being a very impressionable scene to me as a child. But also, Stephen King thought, oh, hey, pretty good. But again, but in reference to that, his stuff isn't usually jump scares anyway. It's yeah. more like, that's fucking scary. Or that's yeah. fuck, you know, it's the shining walking by a room and there's a dude in a pig suit giving a dude a slow job. Yeah. Or, you know, a naked woman in a mirror, or uh, a beautiful woman, and he looks in the mirror and it's decaying and dead. Or in Pet Cemetery, a dude dressed up like the sister twisting on the bed that scars you for a long time. Yeah. Which or we'll get into later. Kid. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's. It, He's not exactly, you know, it's not a slasher. His stuff isn't slasher-based, so it doesn't, mm-hmm. there's very rarely any jump scares in his stuff, usually. But anyway, uh, D. Wallace, again, apparently this was, a lot of people relate to her. Again, none of us here are parents. There, are, Of course, there are parents that listen. But uh, So you all might have more of an insight on this comment, but uh, she was actually praised by a lot of uh, parents for the scene where she hysterically screams at him in frustrated terror, where she's like, just shut up, just shut up. Uh, and they say that's a scene that's very that any parents could identify with. Which, but honestly, I've seen parents like just lose their shit, not lose their shit, but like uh, it's time to get like tell their kid to shut up or stop doing what they're doing in, a, in an adult manner. So, uh, but apparently that struck a lot of court parents at this time with this film coming out. They're like, oh, that's a brilliant performance. Uh, so take what you will from that. Mm. It was just interesting. If you got a kid, let us know. But anyway. Uh, Danny Vitaro was only six years old when they made this film, and he couldn't read yet, so he pretty much had to be told his lines and memorize them. So it wasn't like he wow. could read the script. They had to consistently like tell him like you know he had to memorize them, and then also like you know script supervisors obviously over there just like on a real set anyway, just hollering out the feeding the lines or uh, whatever. Uh, this story was inspired when Stephen King took his motorcycle to a mechanics a mechanic shop, and the dude had an intimidating dog. And then, like you said, Jesse, most likely, what if? Yep. And there it went. Yeah. Luckily, in the film, they weren't on a motorcycle because it would have been very short, much <laughs> like Autumn's 20-minute version, and would have been over <laughs> very quickly. Although, it is a, they were in a Pinto, and it didn't explode after being beaten up by dogs. That was a big joke with Pintos. Uh, in yeah, fact, if you watch Top fall. Secret with Val Kilmer, which is also on Netflix, yep. there's a scene where the truck, a runaway truck like barely bumps a Pinto, <laughs> and it explodes because they would blow up when they get in wrecks. Yeah, or that, something like that. That movie gets they were dangerous. over uh, the movies similar to it, such as yeah. Naked Gun and stuff like that. But it's on Netflix. Let me phrase that. It was, we're now early October, and I know things yeah. come and go on the first of the month, So, but last time I checked, because I recently watched it, and it's still fantastically funny, uh, 
Top one secret. of the best fight scenes in it. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> right there at the end. Very true. Uh, let's see. Uh, inspiration. Uh, this is pretty funny. Because a lot of the time, you know, if they're filming a scene for a film and it's supposed to be hot outside, it's usually freezing on set because of wherever they're at. Or maybe it's raining and it delays filming like it did with Mad Max. Uh, the second one, uh, Road Warrior. We talked about that one. Uh, but, of course, in the film, it's central to the plot of the film. Oh, excuse me, Top Secret is now no longer on Netflix streaming. Yep. It was you available it. for the last two minutes that we were talking. <laughs> and now it's, now it's, it's they heard us. The Sorry. Illuminati <laughs> heard us talking at Area 51, and now it's been removed. Plenty but, of uh, naked guns. Yeah, all, all the naked guns stuff. are on there. Uh, oh, well. But uh, hopefully it'll come back, because it was one of those... Netflix is so fucking weird. Yeah. Just how, like, it's getting aggravating now, just how much stuff, how much notable stuff is disappearing and reappearing. Yeah. Because on your queue, if you had, like, a movie saved to watch and it's gone, you know, it just disappears. When it comes back, it randomly appears back on your queue. It's like, wait, okay. There should it's, be dates on there. Yeah. It would, that would be very helpful. Like, to yeah. say, like, available at until. The of the thing, yeah. Yeah. Something as simple as that would, <sighs> oh, let's watch this now. Let's not wait till tomorrow because it's not going to be here. That would help make us make, as viewers, make informed decisions mm -hmm. and not miss classics like Top Secret. But anyway, what I was getting at, uh, it's central to the plot of the film that uh, Tad and Donna are, like, dying in this car, that it's super hot outside, it's middle of summer, they are sweating, they have no water, they're, you know, something bad happens in the car in the book, uh, but it was actually freezing where they were doing it. So they actually had heaters on the floorboard, and they had to turn them off, and they had to be very careful that it was warm enough to where their breath wasn't showing because it was so cold. Hmm. So, there you go. Uh, I mentioned the unfortunate St. Bernard had died, the rot all over from some scenes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, when they're doing the fog scene where Cujo first is kind of like rabid, and it's a really good scene in the book, better than the movie, because you hear it from Cujo's point of view. But uh, where uh, the, the camera kid sees him, he's in the fog. The fog, they had a naval fog machine, whatever that means. So obviously it's a big fog machine. Yes, it's a big deal. Yeah. yeah uh, but anyway, they, they pumped out so much fog, the fire department came thinking the woods were on fire. But luckily, I guess they didn't do it while they were shooting, so there's no deleted scene of, woo, woo, fire department coming up in the middle. Hey, well, oh, shit, it's a rabbit dog! <laughs> maybe that's how the dog died on set. Maybe we just figured this puzzle out. Uh, it also we know that King contributed substantially to the script, but he declined, declined any writing, writer's guild credit. Uh, but honestly, the screenplay is... its Obviously, they read the book, and they changed just a few things around. It doesn't deviate too much, which we'll get into in just a second, because Autumn's getting bored to death of hearing me talk about these amazing facts <laughs> about this film. But uh, this is also the first film to take place in the fictional town of Castle Rock, like we were talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesse, which we're going to feature on in The Dead Zone, Stand By Me, The Dark Half, and Needful Things. In fact, Rob Reiner, I didn't know this, that it, Castle Rock was his production company, but of course he directed Stand By Me, and he named his production company Castle Rock because of the fictional town. Nice. So I wonder if Stephen King gets royalties from that every time Castle Rock makes a movie nope. with that logo on it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, now right before we get into the discussion of the book, this is a big spoiler. If you haven't read the book and you're like, oh, maybe I want to read the book because it's Stephen King and I haven't read it. Huge spoiler for the book coming up. So if you don't want the book spoiled because... Give, give us two minutes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so spoiler starting now. In the book, Tad dies at the end. The kid dies, flat out. They, they, she waited too long to get out of the car to fight the dog off and save him. It was a better ending. Because Autumn hates children. No, no, I don't like I, happy endings. I know. Especially in horror books. We'll get on to that. But anyway, 
Uh, the point of me bringing that up now, right before we talk about the book, where we're still talking about the film, is that Stephen King said that if he could go back and change anything from any of his works that he's done, it would be going back to Cujo and not having the kid die. Don't listen to him. He's drunk. Yeah. This is post-alcoholism. This is recent reflection. Hmm. But anyway, that's all the fun facts. Body count? Only yep. three. Three people and one dog. Or, if in the book, four people and one dog. Yeah. <laughs> because... Not a big, not a big uh, body count for it, because obviously it's a very simple story. But anyway, if you had to score this movie, babe, what would you give it? I don't know, five, six. Fifty-six percent. Fifty-six out of ten. I'd give it a six point five. It's not a bad movie, but it's not one that you're gonna want. Like we, yeah. the first thing we said, like if you haven't seen it, you'll watch it once and be like, oh yeah, okay. But I uh, just remember when you're watching it, it's a movie from '83. So, but again, in my opinion, that's one of the the good, awesome things about it, watching it now, because they made it now, which we'll get into in one second, uh, CG would look terrible, I imagine, unless Life of Pie crew did it, because they can make a lifelike looking animal. But they're bankrupt and disbanded now, so who knows where they're at. Yeah. But anyway, uh, again, for its time, using a real dog to do that, that they made that sweet, sweet, rest in peace, poor little puppy look like a killer St. Bernard. Uh, but anyway... In the real world, this released August, what day was it? 12th. 12th. Thank you very much, Jesse, for reminding me. I got a lot of 11. Next week's movie <laughs> was released on 11. But the day before this film released, it's so rare we have birthdays coincide with these films. Uh, and, this, and more or less two Marvel Universe stars' birthdays, the day before, one the day before and one the day after Cujo released. August 11th, Thor himself was brought upon this earth as Chris Hemsworth was born, August 11th, 1983. And then Cujo came out on the 12th. The day after Cujo came out, Sebastian Stan, the Winter Soldier, mm. was born. So, I guess on set of Marvel Civil War, they probably had a joint little birthday party if it rolled around around that time. <laughs> but anyway, enough about the movie. We've talked about the movie. And the big thing this month is doing the works of King. We're talking about the book as well. Autumn, what did you think of the book? I really like the book. A lot more than the movie? Yeah. Like a way, like... Yeah. Like, Distinct difference. Yeah, absolutely. I liked having the insight of the dog. Mm-hmm. It was Which, interesting. Yeah, because as we mentioned earlier, like, it's not just like, mm, bark, bark. It actually, there's inner monologue with the dog where he's saying, like, he doesn't want to feel this. He's yeah. describing his struggle, struggle to, like, to, <laughs> as he goes rabid. Yeah. And, like, how, like, he can't control it, basically. And, mm. in fact, in the book, one of the biggest scenes is that fog scene because that's basically the last time he's Cujo. Like, he's, he kind of, like, that's when he... Him not killing that kid is like his last act as a good dog, for lack of a better mm. explanation. Because then everything is like he's sitting in the shop and like the men are, t- he call- it's always called the man in big caps, like, or the boy. That's how he identifies him. And he's always saying how like they're making a noise and it hurts his ears. He's so thirsty, it's just driving him crazy. And then that's why he attacks and stuff like that. And then mm. uh, in the book, it's a big deal when they're in the car that because uh, the, f- the phone rings, much like in the movie, and that just sets him off to where like, that's when he just starts pounding the car, and then every noise, like, it's just, it's much more in-depth and insightful, not just on Cucho, but the whole flipping love triangle in the movie, which is in the movie, obviously, but in the book, uh, again, I'm not a math expert. The book's about 300 pages, or give or take. Uh, by my estimations, after reading it, 80% of the book is about the people and the love triangle, the revenge that Kemp does and the him trying to keep the ad campaign. 15% of the book is about the dog. Hmm. Like, 
and honestly, uh, I think we talked last week how reading the book, uh, I, th- I want to say maybe it's not until maybe the 200 pages in where they're trapped, they get, they get there and get trapped in the car. And then wow. it starts. But the last, once that kind of starts, like I couldn't put it down. I was like, I want to see what happens. I want to see what happens. That's when the book got really, for me, really, really good. Because that's when it was like, oh, I had no clue what was going to happen in the book. Because again, and of course, we were surprised because the kid doesn't make it. <laughs> But it does go into a lot of uh, detail about the stuff that's just mentioned in the book. Cause the, I mean, the movie, because the movie ends kind of awkwardly. He just comes, and they're walking down the steps, and then credits roll. That's it. Uh, in the book, they, they save the account that uh, the sharp serial professor in the movie, the whole drama with the husband leaving, and they stay together after the kid dies. But it goes on a bit talking about like their loss, like how they, it took them so long to get back to some semblance of normal. So it kind of has, the book goes beyond the film. But overall, I'd say the film, it kept most of the high like, points of the book. So I'd say it was pretty close. But again, it, you really can't like, have an inner monologue, like explain the dog, because then it's like a kid's film, I guess. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Gee, I don't want to eat this guy. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and Bradley me. Cooper as Cujo. <laughs> or something like that. Uh, Way back then. <laughs> yeah. Any yeah. thoughts on the the book that you had or any point, thing in the book that you remember being left out or that you were it felt like it was Alan missing? Thick. Or? <laughs> Alan <laughs> I'm Thick. I'm Alan hey, I don't want to eat this guy. <laughs> hey, Mike, oh, I mean, uh, <laughs> Tad, get over here so I can eat you. Was he a psychologist in that show or a yes. doctor? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he saw patients out of his home office. Yeah, I knew it was because there's something. They always have that scene, Mike, get in here. Sorry I took the car, Dad. You know, the wrap-up would always be in that office of his. Uh, but anyway, any other thoughts on the book, love? Um, no, I liked it. It's a good book. But uh, oh, uh, real quick, uh, book. It was the book came out in ni- uh, September eighth, nineteen eighty-one. Uh, as I mentioned, Tad dies, and also there was a lot more focus in the book too on Camber so and his wife. Lives. I mean, uh, Camber's wife and her son and their son. Yeah. Because they're trying to reach, and that's why they, the phone keeps ringing because they keep calling and calling. That like. Because when Tad's... Because I mean, uh, they think the dog might be rabies-ridden. Yeah, in fact... In the, <laughs> they're trying to call no, home. Perhaps. No, that's, that's, that's a big thing that they did in the movie that they didn't do in the book. In the book, the kid's just like, Mom, when he sees him in the fog, he's like, Mom, I think Cujo's sick. He doesn't say he's foaming at the mouth. In the movie, he's like, he's foaming at the mouth. And the mm. mom's just like, in the movie, in the book, the mom's like, oh, shit. Like, uh, Joe's going to... The camper, camper's going to use this to make him not leave because there's a whole big plot line about her trying to get the son away from him because he's an asshole. So she just wants to take the son away and all that. In the book, in the movie, it's just like they're gone. But you can tell it when you're if you've read the book and you're watching the movie that there's more to that. That's because in the book, she just says, "Don't tell, don't tell your, don't tell dad. We'll call him when we get there and let him know, and he'll check on Cujo because she's afraid if the dog's sick. Just again, he doesn't say foaming at the mouth. If you, if somebody said that their dog's foaming at the mouth, that's like whoa, whoa, whoa. The dog's foaming at the mouth. It's that means it's rabid. Hmm. So. In the movie, she's like, yeah, Cujo's foaming at the mouth. She's like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, let's just go. Don't tell your dad. So she basically <laughs> plans for Cujo, hopes Cujo kills him anyway <laughs> in the movie, it seems. But they're, uh, in the book, like it's like it's much more organic, I guess. It's not like exposition, like saying, Cujo's rabid. Oh, no, <laughs> as they do in the movie. Hmm. But anyway, uh, you had to get the, uh, oh, a big thing about the book, too, that, that's interesting because, uh, of course, I've read like six Stephen King books in the past month. So the most I've ever read in my life. But anyway, uh, 
it's really interesting because Cujo, there's no chapters. It's all like one long oh, wow. book. So it was really hard. Like if you lost your space, you better remember what page you're on or it'll take you a while. Back to page one. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, it also, very interestingly, it starts with Once Upon a Time. Oh. So in a weird way, it's almost like one of, uh, one of the actual grim fairy tales where it's morbid and people oh. die at the end. He doesn't remember, so yeah. that's probably why I started. Maybe he's like, I want to write a children's book about a friendly dog. <laughs> and then he writes Cujo. Oops. Oh, shit. Oh, it's good anyway, I get yeah. it. But anyway, babe, if you had to score the book, what would you give a, a score for the book as opposed to the movie? Like a seven-ish. That's exactly what I gave it. It's The first 200 pages are like, get on with it, but then once it gets to the, the dramatic tension, mm. then it's like a... Very well written. In fact, when, uh, there's one part in the movie I was waiting for in the movie after reading the book and remembering stuff where uh, there's a scene in the movie where she gets out of the car like not knowing where the dog is. And he's at the front of the car just laying there waiting. But in the book, it's like scary as fuck because the dog, Cujo's like, he's just saying how he's going to rip her apart the second he sees her. And then like, she's like, she puts her foot down, doesn't see the dog. And like he says, the last thing he says before like it goes back to her is like how he sees the foot and he gets ready to pounce. You're like, oh shit. But, and, you know, it's for me, it's hard for books to inspire any kind of, yeah. like, tension like that, or especially fear. Like, none of his books have, like, scared me. But there is a tension edge where, like, I, like, I've used, I first used the term page turner to where I can understand that yeah. reading some of his stuff. Because, again, I mean, back in the day I read of stuff, but as a kid, it, you don't process it on the same level, especially him as an author. Because I know as a kid, there were words if I didn't understand. It was like, I don't care. I'll just get to, you know, because I, I saw Misery, so I, I got the book. Okay. Because, okay, a kid doesn't get it mm-hmm. at that age. But anyway, I'd also give it a seven, as I mentioned before. So hopefully this terrified you a little bit and made you scared to get a big St. Bernard <laughs> in the country. And, Go adopt that a shelter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember the moral of the story. Uh, get regular tune-ups. Uh, get, make sure your dogs get their shots. Yeah. And don't cheat on your significant other because you'll get t- tormented by a large dog. And uh, if it's a movie ending, it's you, your family will make it okay. If it's a book ending, your kid's dead. It's so, uh, pretty solid life advice either way, though. Yeah. Keep your car in check. Keep your marriage good. Yeah, exactly. See, that's the genius of Stephen King. He teaches these basic yeah. truths through the story of Cujo. <laughs> but uh, anyway, oh, uh, one more thing real quick. Uh, it was announced earlier this year that they want to remake it. Hmm. But Of course they did. No, hold on. Wait. With a CG dog. Most likely, but, it w- <laughs> but Cujo. Need a suit. Yeah. <laughs> King finally gets to be the dog. the dog again. <laughs> but uh, no, get, get this. The title would be Q.U. I mean, Q. <laughs> excuse what? me. C.U.J.O. It's a robot dog? I don't know. <laughs> but it would it would stand for K9 Unit Joint Operations. Sounds like a oh, robot dog. So geez. it sounds like they're going to cybernetically enhance dogs and then they go crazy and start they're eating people. Pintos. <laughs> kind of like that movie Man's Best Friend with Ben uh, Simpson from the 90s. I was thinking that movie Stealth, except it's a dog and not an airplane. Oh, you mean Stealth, which was a cheap imitation of 2001? Which was a no? Excuse me. I was going forward in time after that. That's a that's a common thing where like some technology goes awry. Uh huh. It's like Terminator, but it's a dog. Hmm. It's just dumb. Bottom line. So uh, write your congressman with your displeasure for the idea of remaking Cujo as an acronym. And I'd like a Cujo three thousand. <laughs> Wait for the ride at Universal Studios. Never happening. Whenever that is. 
Because I've already had the 2000. I'm, I want to upgrade to the 3000. Gotcha. That model has a... I don't know. Can't take that any further than that. So I'll end it there. But next month... Uh, excuse me. Next week, we'll be talking about another novel that starts with a C. But the movie has a different title, as we mentioned earlier. The novel... Novella, I should say. Cycle of the Werewolf. Adapted into the 1985 movie Silver Bullet, starring none other than Gary fucking Busey. The only star I've ever talked to on the phone. Yeah. Which I told that story before, so I'm sorry. I'm not going to, maybe I'll have to repeat it depending on how we're running on time next week. But maybe not, but we'll see. But anyway, of course, if you want to drop us a line, let us know what we missed, forgot, or misspoke about, all that kind of fun stuff, agevisited at gmail.com, at AwesomePods on Facebook, on the internet, on Twitter. And don't forget, Awesome Pods means Awesome Podcast Network. There's more podcasts on the network. Plenty of old episodes of Duo Attack. Why don't you know this? Republic City Report. Uh, what am I missing? Jesse Sedgley Podcast. And Geekly Dose, of course. The one that started it all. You can always go back and listen to those old episodes if you need something to fill your time on your drive or anything. And also, big shout out to our friends in Lafayette, James and John, with Now Versus Nostalgia. And it's so funny... Uh, just because how, you know, you meet somebody or you online or email or met John once in person. We text all the time uh, how when I posted on the Facebook page that was, you know, the, whole, the, horror, the theme for the horror month was going to be Stephen King books. He posted a picture because uh, he does alarm systems, so he's traveling a lot on the road a lot. Hmm. He was listening to Stephen King audiobooks. So the post was a picture of what he was listening to when Great Minds Think Alike, and that's very true. Very, very true. Well, he can meet me in Opelousas one of these days. And I'll get that jacket. jacket. <laughs> well, the weather is turning, so John... We need to get that back to you. We don't I'm want you. Manopolis is twice a month, so we don't want you to end up like uh, Jack Nicholson at the end of uh, The Shining. <laughs> Frozen. Crazy. No. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, the cold makes you crazy. Drunk. Crazy drunk, high on coke and possessed by evil spirits or something. Yes. But anyway, everybody, good. bring your silver bullets next week as we talk about silver bullet. <laughs> so terrible segue, but nonetheless, I am Trey Harris. Autumn Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! <laughs> Cujo Bunga. <laughs>